0: Hello and welcome to The Theological Family Ministry Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. This is Pastor Tony Trussoni, the family pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland.
1: And I'm Ben Palaz, the pastor for Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in sunny Augusta, Georgia.
0: Well, we are so glad to have you listening today and we're going to be talking about an interesting and culturally relevant topic of self-esteem. And our title for our podcast today is self-esteem or Christ esteem. So with that being said, I want to go ahead and start off and ask you a question, Ben. What is self-esteem?
1: It's thinking that I'm awesome. I mean, it's esteeming oneself. It's, you know, it's assumed in our culture that we should have a high opinion of ourselves and it's become a little bit or maybe a lot of a cult almost in which we don't ever want to make anyone feel bad about themselves it's tied up with shame and honor though and and getting praise and so there's a, a book that's really helpful it's not so much about self-esteem. It's about uh, the fear of man versus the fear of God, but it's by a guy named Ed Welch. I'm sure you've read it or you know of Ed Welch, but he says that low self-esteem is sort of like secularized shame. It's sort of taking God out of the mix, but you know, in the Bible, people can have shame at being exposed to the holy view of God because of their sin or having other people find out about their sin, and so... uh, self esteem can be sort of removing God out of that picture but other people are, are aware of my shortcomings, my faults, you know, not we don't want to call it sin because again, God's removed from it, but but yeah, just that view of ourselves and it's again assumed that we should think that we're great.
0: Absolutely, that's great. And you know, we're recording this before the Super Bowl, and this will be posted after the Super Bowl, but I think as we're recording, we're hoping that the New England Patriots don't have much reason to think that they're great when this is being listened to.
1: (laughs) Yes, I hope they're wallowing in their low self-esteem after the Super Bowl. We're also recording in front of a live studio audience today. My sister is here, Parson Carson, so... (laughs) Yeah, she's ordained in some sort of cult church online, but she's she's not really down with that. So um, We're
0: becoming quite the big deal nowadays, I guess.
1: Yes, we, we apparently so. We now are broadcasting in front of an audience.
0: Yeah, we, as, I think it's probably raising our self-esteem.
1: It is. My self-esteem has, has gone way
0: up. Is self-esteem or self-trust good or bad for kids?
1: Well, that's a tough question. I mean, proper... You know, an accurate view of of oneself is good, but trusting in yourself is not. I mean, thinking I'm awesome and the most special person in the world, that's not good. I mean, as I was preparing for this, I came across a psychiatrist named David Sack. I mean, this guy's part of the the establishment, and he said our modern emphasis on praise may be contributing to a generation of self-obsessed, irresponsible, and unmotivated kids. So this is coming from someone who's part of the psychological, psychiatric establishment. And again, not that all of that is garbage. I don't at all want to give that impression. But uh, teaching kids to trust themselves is not good. I mean, the Bible comes down strongly on trusting in flesh or in human strength uh, or in the strength of other people. I mean, Jeremiah comes talks about this in in chapter 17, and he says, "...cursed is the, the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit." And so trusting in the Lord is a much better place for us to trust than in ourselves. Teaching children that their worth doesn't come from them being awesome inherently, but that they're made in the image of God.
0: I think an important thing to note in this, what God made is good. I'll talk more about that later. But it is important to really note and to take that and absorb it that... We are a good thing. God has created humanity and humanity is a lovely thing, an amazing creation of God and even his highest creation. So we should be feel feel a sense of gladness and a sense of worth in the fact that God created us, the creator of the universe, lovingly created us, even in his image. But I think that this self-esteem, self-trust focus can produce a kind of mild narcissism. Sometimes it's not even mild at all. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's the spicy narcissism. Humility, though, I think in the Bible is not depicted as Having a right understanding of self-worth. Humility in the Bible is often described rightfully, I think, as thinking of yourself less. Pride, on the other hand, even when it's called self-esteem, is thinking of yourself more. He, whether it be positively or negatively so in the Bible I think pride can be oh woe is me you know I'm the worst ever that I'm such a failure and that overly self-focused nature and as well as it can be the oh look at me I'm so awesome I'm the best thing ever both of those I think are biblically pride
1: yeah I mean I agree in the book I mentioned a minute ago Ed Welch he talks about you know, low self-esteem being a form of pride. is twisted, but it's still, and it's the, how much you're thinking about yourself, how frequently, not just, you know, the quality. And so it's sort of like, I'm better than this, and I deserve to be noticed, and, and I want to be greater than I am, and you should all notice it. And if not, then, you know, I'll mourn. You know, we just come out of the womb thinking that, that we're the center of the world.
0: And the truth is, we, like you said, we actually do naturally like ourselves, you might hear all sorts of Christian groups try to say, you know, that Jesus tells us to love ourselves. Jesus really wants us to love ourselves so we can love other people. Jesus's point in that text that's brought up, "Love others as you love yourself," is we naturally like ourselves. We all do. We're naturally our own biggest fans. We worship ourselves, and this self-esteem, I think, ups the ante, and it ends up doing some. I think, really dangerous things. I think there's been a lot of studies that show that self-esteem lowers empathy and even lowers charity in those who are focused on having a high self-esteem. But what are some of the more extreme examples of self-esteem today?
1: One of the things you just mentioned made me think of uh, something I heard a few years back where some group did a study and they gave people organic food and then other people had inorganic food and the people who ate the organic food were less likely to give to some sort of charitable cause or help someone. I think it was actually helping someone that had a clear need in that moment because they thought that they had already done something good and so they felt great about themselves eating organic food. Now, if you want to eat organic food, you know, go for it. But it doesn't make you a, a good person. Another thing is, you know, participation trophies. And I know a, a website that you and I like to read, the Babylon B, satirical articles. And they talked about after the the rioting after the presidential election that some some police in New York decided to kind of calm the crowd down, they would hand out participation trophies to the young millennials who were, you know, they gave them a sense of fulfillment that they had participated and so they could chill out. You know, it was getting passed around the internet as if it was real. People didn't know this was a a joke website. But that kind of thing, I mean, you and I grew up sort of in that culture and, you know, our, our studio audience or my sister, she's younger than me and so she saw it even more. Another one, that's, it's just kind of funny. My wife used to work in a Mother's Day out, Parent's Day out in a church, and they had a child there whose parents did not want to correct the child. And so they would always just positively affirm. And so I asked, what do you do if the, the kid, you know, like kicks some kid across the room? I mean, you say, well, that was good form or, you know, you're going to be an Olympic taekwondo medalist or something. I mean, it just it gets to the point of absurdity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. And I think that everyone gets a trophy mentality is exactly that. I mean, I think that's kind of the iconic one. That being said, honestly, it may be from the rugged northern Midwest, but I've never actually known, especially as a child, I never actually knew anyone who got a participation trophy. I don't know about you.
1: Uh, I mean, I remember playing t-ball and getting everybody got some sort of trophy, like, you know, a guy hitting a ball or something.
0: Nice. I think one extreme example actually is something that's immensely, extremely popular is the song Let It Go from the movie Frozen. I mean, it's kind of almost a stereotypical example of self-esteem today. I mean, some lyrics in it. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always want to be, saying sarcastically. Conceal don't feel. uh, Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bother me anyway. I don't care what they're going to say. You know, just do what I'm going to do mentality. Did you do all that from memory? No, I did it from azlyrics.com.
1: Okay, all right. I was about to be impressed asking you some more questions about that.
0: <laughs> Although my kids do love that movie, and it was a well-done movie. And I think one could argue that that movie meant to present that song as kind of the villain song. But either way, you know, it's kind of a mantra of a generation, isn't it?
1: really is yeah i mean it, it captures it well
0: it's horrifying though you know that mentality let it go that i basically i'm going to live how i'm going to live and who cares what anybody thinks about that uh i mean it's narcissistic it's dangerous
1: yeah who are you to tell me you know that i'm wrong
0: this self-esteem taught and church's children's ministries and is that appropriate Ben? Yeah, I mean, it is taught.
1: And sometimes it's a more biblical form of it, um, or an attempt to be biblical, and sometimes it's just more the secularized form of it, and, and that's not appropriate. I mean, it might look like, well, God thought that you were so awesome that he sent Jesus for you. That's just not what the Bible says. I mean, it does tell us that he, he saved us in love, but it says that we were his enemies. I mean, he, But Ephesians 1 and 2 talk about he saved us to the praise of his grace. It was so that yeah, we, we would... He be, it would be seen that he was such a gracious God. But it was also for our good. And I mean, John 3.16, the verse that almost anybody knows, is for God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. So there was a lot of motivations there. But it wasn't just because we were so awesome that he chose to to send his son for us. You know, or, thankfully, I've never heard this taught. I've heard people talk about it, that it has been taught, but that, you know, God was lonely and so he made us. You know, he didn't need us and he didn't need to redeem us. I mean, he tells Israel in Deuteronomy 7, he says, I loved you because I loved you, basically. Not because you were righteous, not because you were the biggest or the baddest nation. Uh, and so that's the same with us. I mean, he loves us because he's a God who loves. He, he chooses to love us. And so, you know, we should teach children as churches and as parents, you know, that God made you in his image and he made you to be like him. And to show what he's like, and so and that gives you tremendous value. So we treat other people that are made in God's image with that amount of respect and love, and it's you know God is that important that we we treat people who we bear His image like that. But um, not just that you're so amazing and God is just mesmerized by you.
0: You know, what your comments earlier brought to mind a song that I had heard on Christian radio years ago that I think displays how this mentality is taught of self-esteem, unfortunately, in churches. And I don't know the name of the song, I don't know most of the lyrics, but I remember the chorus was along the lines that it had this line, you're something worth dying for, because essentially saying, because Jesus died for us, that means we're, and we're therefore the most awesome thing ever. Because of course he wouldn't have died for us if we weren't the most awesome thing as ever even though the bible explicitly tells us that is the case and jesus's death for us is a mystery so you know we're rebels we deserve to be punished by god and yet despite that despite being the only thing god created that doesn't do what he created it to do jesus died for us we're not something worth dying for we're unworthy of jesus's death and yet he loved us so much that, that he did die for us but one way i have seen this Taught is sometimes, especially when churches and children's ministry embrace kind of a psychological approach, uh, a psychologically self-esteem lessons, different things of teaching identity. One that's popular, and I've seen popular in certain circles of churches, is teaching this cup filling I uh, sense of identity. Uh, it's from the okay, a popular illustration that essentially teaches that a kid had to know its own self-worth the kid has to have their own cup filled filled up and they fill up their cup through serving other people but as they're serving other people they're being emptied up and emptied of their of their self-worth so they have to have people pour into them and if people don't pour into them these kids are empty cups and they can't do anything good and can't you know serve the Lord so unless they get barrels and barrels of compliments essentially they're never going to be able to be productive and good citizens and that's horrible <laughs>
1: yeah I mean there's a lot of troubling there and you know in getting back to the root of it all I think would be really really difficult or impossible but I you know a professor of ours that, that we had in seminary uh, talked about how in our culture today everything is permitted but little is or almost anything or almost nothing excuse me is forgiven so it's yeah go ahead and do that but then when you do stumble and fall there can be you don't have the grace that you get from God, and so um, that feeds into the need to, to praise and all this, because while we're just approving people going crazy, at the same time, then there can be scorn and shame that comes with that, and, and an internal sense of, I, know, I shouldn't do this. There's something wrong with, with the, the ways I'm living. And
0: the, How has an overemphasis and self-esteem hurt society?
1: I mean, I think going back to the the participation awards, I mean, I think it sets kids up to feel entitled when they get into the workforce or into their family. I mean, it can put a strain on marriages. It's, you know, it's like my mom said that I'm the most special person in the world and you're not treating me like that. So it's about time that you get on board. This relationship is not going to work out. I mean I've read where managers and stuff are having issues with younger workers who they come in thinking you know what's I need to understand why you're telling me to do what this this order is and if I don't understand I'm not going to do it whereas in generations past I'm like well I'm just going to do it because that's my job and so I think that's, that's an issue I think it plays in with sexual identity too mm-hmm. I mean people if you define yourself by your sexual desires and attractions that's, that's a problem whether they're you know pure and holy ones or not, but then we have the priest of the, the Church of Self-Esteem is telling us, you know, if we tell people that their desires are misdirected, and I mean, let's be honest, all of us have desires on the that, those lines that are misdirected to some degree but if, if we tell people oh you' you're desiring something that's wrong then they're going to feel bad about themselves and they're going to turn to self-destructive behavior and so we just need to affirm it all and you know people may do that but preventing those kind that destructive behavior is not just as simple as, as telling them that they're awesome and what they desire is wonderful I mean it just goes deeper than that
0: and when everyone thinks of them all awesome Person in the world, it's no surprise that true community has shriveled. There's a great book, a sociological book called Bowling Alone, that I think is amplified in recent days, which essentially says that we're a, sent, a collection of individuals now rather than uh, ever being in any sense community together. And I think when we essentially treat ourselves as gods, we can't really have community anymore. That's broken down. And further, we lose backbone, too. You know, you hear in the news all the time about colleges creating safe spaces so that kids don't have to hear ideas contrary to their own. And I think that's so much rooted in that self-esteem society. I don't have to hear what I don't what I don't like. It's dangerous. And then, as you mentioned, millennials and our generation of millennials, oftentimes there's a lot of studies that show that millennials can be the least satisfied with their job of any previous generation. Because they expect, you know, a lot of them expect the constant kind of rubbing their back, patting their back mentality of, you know, you're the greatest. And that's just not real life.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That is not real life, uh, and, and if anybody's listening to this and you haven't gotten out into the real world, it, it is not that way.
0: No, it is not. Does self-esteem bring unrealistic expectations?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and we just we just hit on some of them. Talking about you know marriage, or even you know you get into raising a child, and you may think this child is going to fulfill me, and I'm going to be so happy and be affirmed as being a mother or as a father, and I can present myself on Facebook as this awesome mother or father, and then the child, you know gets it in their mind pretty quickly that they're there to make themselves happy, you know, they're they're not cooperating, and then you're going, wait, wait, this is not according to plan here. And so, I mean, it just, it touches on so many areas where people expect one thing, and, and that's just not how, everyone's not going to reorder their life for you.
0: Yes. You know, I think this is really demonstrated and an over the top way even and a book that I recently saw a few years ago was in the New York Times bestseller list a motivational book and the that title of the book I won't read the whole title uh, because I'll just say the word A in place of a certain word but it is You Are a Bad A How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living a, an Awesome Life How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness because you are a bad A I mean, that is just so naive. That's unrealistic. Of course, the vast majority of people won't get rich, won't become the greatest thing possible, won't meet their wildest possible dreams, because that's not reality. That's not how reality works. I mean, you send that off to a remote village in Africa, they're not all going to become Fortune 500 CEOs because of it. They're probably... (laughs) <laughs> they'll probably end up yeah, they'll probably end up using the book to create a fire to, to keep their family warm instead and that's probably the best use for that kind of book frankly the and the truth is you know we might think that's such a wonderful thing to tell our children that you can be whatever you want you can be anything and everything that you set your mind to but the truth is most of our kids probably can't be president in the United States. It's probably unrealistic that they ever will be. Maybe some might be. If you have a four foot 10 inch blonde uh, teenage daughter, she's not gonna become an NFL center. It's just not gonna happen.
1: You're holding her back, man. Holding back her dreams.
0: And so, you know, I think it creates this unrealistic expectations, and it just sets people up for failure. And I think it even sets people up for hurting our, our economy, that there's no grit anymore, you know, that we don't work jobs that we know are hard, but work and work to get get ahead and work to provide for our families. It's all about pursuing our unrealistic, absurd sometimes, narcissistic dreams
1: yeah I mean and then when when the dreams don't come true then I think you can and it comes crashing down it's like oh man I'm just a failure at life because I didn't you know fulfill my wildest dreams and I mean it's just a it's it's just a mess
0: what does the Bible say about our understanding of identity and understanding of self
1: well it's something we've kind of hit on already but it's that we're made in the image of God we not that God has fingers and toes and, and that kind of thing, but that we are made to be like him and to show his goodness uh, to one another, uh, kind of like a mirror reflecting all that he is. And he made us to take care of and rule over this world. You know, we've marred that terribly, though. Um, I mean, when you go look around at other people, you don't go, "Oh, that's what God's like." Now, within the church, though, I mean, God's has a new creation, a new, a new humanity of people He's remaking from the inside out, and so they are. Uh, he, he's restoring the the broken image. Um, he's He's making them look like Jesus, and so the fact that we are like God in our character, I think, is the one of the biggest things that we can help kids understand and understand ourselves that we belong to him and that we are to be like him and not just that we're just inherently so amazing
0: you know i think four things i want to highlight and a lot of it's going back on what you said that god made us as his greatest creation in his him in his image god didn't make any junk god don't make junk that is true since the fall we are all, despite that, we're all born rebels and enemies of God that live for ourselves. Despite God's creation, we've rebelled. We've become self-focused and we become even, the, the Bible describes us as the enemies of God on our own. Mysteriously, despite that, our identity is found in the fact that Jesus loved broken humanity enough to die in our place, to die for those who would trust in him. And if we trust in Jesus, we are adopted as sons something we referred to at the beginning of the previous podcast and marked with Christ's perfection. So now our identity is actually being perfect, even when we sin, even when we do a heinous sin, God sees us as perfect because Jesus was perfect for us. So I think those four things are just so essential to understanding it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's something that it's outside of us. And we can yes. rest in that.
0: It's teaching kids we are self-centered and broken harmful though, Ben. For,
1: for who? For you? Or or for the
0: child? <laughs> harmful for the child.
1: It may get you dirty looks, but no, I don't think it's, it's harmful for children. I mean, I think it's really the path toward true healing and becoming a whole redeemed person, living the way that God created us to live. I mean, it's the truth, and so they need to know it. I mean, if you go to the doctor and, you know, they've got a fracture in their leg... It's not good of the doctor to go, well, sort of ignore the fracture or downplay it and just talk about how great the muscle tone in their leg is. You know, they need to take care of the fracture. And so, yeah, I think we want to be clear. We're not telling kids that they're dirtbags and, you know, you're trash and just get out of my sight. But it's just giving them realistic description of themselves and saying, you know, you're a sinner. You, You sinned against God. You don't love God like you should. Neither do I. I mean, put yourself in that boat, not on some sort of moral high ground above them.
0: How does finding our worth in Jesus compare to having high self-worth?
1: Well, Jesus is far more worthy than we are. I mean, he's far more beautiful, more admirable, more accomplished than we are. And so, I mean, he's just a lot better place to fix our gaze and our attention. I mean, we can all become enamored with our own abilities or accomplishments or what we'd like to accomplish. But, you know, we're, for those who trust in him, they're joined to him by faith. And so we get the benefit of all that He's done for us, and we can rest yeah, yeah. securely in that. And um, we don't have to try to become like God and create our own identity. It's given to us, you know. And we don't have to go after other people to prop up our self esteem or, or to be an emotionally healthy person, because you know if we if we're just fixed on trying to have a high self-worth, we have to ignore reality, and we have to tell ourselves and tell other people lies to kind of maintain that that Mm -hmm. high self-esteem, that image. So as God's word exposes our hearts and our minds and it shows us the sin that's there, can't be honest with ourselves and consistently think that we're great. And we see, oh, I have fallen short of the glory of God. I don't act like him. I don't love him. I don't love other people the way he made me to be. And so it's freeing to children and to adults. You know, my value is, is tied to the one who's perfect. It's, it's his report card, not mine.
0: I think self-esteem is really fragile and it's ineffective versus Christ's esteem was what I like to call, you know, finding your identity in Christ. I think is kind of like Christ's esteem. And that's objective and it's eternal. You know, that's not rooted in, in how I've been today, like you kind of mentioned. How do parents teach Christ's esteem over self-esteem?
1: I think telling them and showing them, you know, Jesus is better than you, honey. And trust Him, not, not yourself. You know, don't constantly tell them how amazing they are. Again, not that you go to the other end and tell them what a, a dirtbag they are, but just talk about how amazing Jesus is and let their hearts be in wonder of who He is and that He loves and saves bad people like you and them rather than training them to be in awe of themselves and put all their confidence there.
0: And I think further, you're going to have to correct a lot of lies because our culture is pushing hard to try to teach children that they're the most awesome thing ever and have this self-esteem. I mean, as I mentioned before, and Monday maybe we'll talk about specific Disney movies, for example. I mean, if you go to half of any Disney movie, it's essential prop premise. I mean, even a recent movie, Moana, is how awesome, how amazing we are that uh, we can do anything we set our minds to. Just just think about it enough. But, you know, this is unrealistic and we as parents have to correct these lies that our culture is teaching to our children and talk yeah, about our brokenness. At the same time, you know, when our kids are tempted to have shame, to teach that God doesn't make mistakes. And we can be perfect in Jesus and have no shame in who we are and what we struggle with. Even in our sin struggles, we can have no shame if we put our crush in Jesus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just taking that attention off yourself, not thinking about yourself as frequently, and putting it on Jesus, much better place for it.
0: How do churches convey a biblical understanding of identity?
1: I mean, churches have to work to be God-centered, and more specifically Christ-centered in what they're teaching, what they're doing, what they're singing, and not as man-centered. We need to teach parents and kids that, that all of their life is about this, this glorious God that the Bible proclaims and lifting up His Son, Jesus, and train them how to live and to think that way and always seeing things in connection to Jesus. I mean, Colossians 1.16 says that all things were created for Him, for Christ, and so when we get that we go okay now how do I, how do I connect the dots in my life to help them not compartmentalize life I think mean, you they've got to preach the gospel and the implications of the gospel for everyday living so not just the message but also how this affects your Tuesday morning you know how being conformed to the image of Christ is is being having that the image of God restored in you And you hit on this about what parents can do, but churches as well, pastors, but also in other teaching venues of the church, understanding some of what is coming from the culture, whether it's overt or it's just kind of, you know, it's just assumed, and people are just sort of drinking from the well without even realizing it. Uh, So, And taking it on, addressing those challenges head on, and exposing the lie there, and then countering it with the truth of God's Word.
0: And further... Uh, To church children's ministry leaders, I would encourage you, be careful with curriculum. Be careful while we teach our kids. I I think this idea of self-worth, this idea of self-esteem in a narcissistic, prideful way, has permeated even many children's curriculums and avoid those that put the emphasis, the onus on man, and and instead seek those that do as Ben says, put the onus and the emphasis of the Bible on Jesus. So thank you, though, for joining us for the Theological family Ministry podcast. We've had a blast today, as we always do talking to each other. Please download, review, our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, and tell other people that you think might be benefited and blessed by it. And one other thing I want to mention today for this podcast, if you share this podcast on social media, Twitter or Facebook, On your timeline or on your Twitter page, then you will be entered in to have an opportunity to win either show them Jesus if you're a children's ministry worker or Gospel Powered Parenting if you are a parent listening in. So I think either one is an excellent and wonderful resource, and I know we have some that listen, some even in the live audience today that are neither a parent nor directly in children's ministry. But either way, I think these are great and wonderful resources. I encourage you to share and tell other people about it and. Come back and listen again every first and third Thursday. Thank you.